alone. That is Easter. There is no other king. Let me say one more time, thank you for being with us this Easter. We are honored to have you. It is a day of celebration for those of us that have put our lives in Jesus, our trust in Jesus. And I'm going to be very blunt and straight up front. I like to be that kind of preacher that lets you know straight up front what, what to expect. My goal today is that when you walk out of here, you would understand that we would all deeper understand, no matter where we are in our faith walk, uh, the purpose of Easter and the purpose of what it means for you today. But in order for us to do that, I need to go, we need to go on a bit of a journey. Can we go on a journey today? Are you, are you welcome? Are you open to that? Are you open to that? We're going to go on a journey. We're going to walk through this whole thing to really go, okay, Easter's a celebration. I've heard you say that about 17 million times this morning. Like it's a celebration. We're going to have fun with it. It's great. It's powerful. It's impactful. It's life-changing. But what is the point of Easter in the beginning? Like, why do we even need the holiday of Easter? And make no mistake about it, you need Easter. I need Easter. We, no, matter, no matter where you are, some of you have been in the room and you're like, I gave my life to Jesus 80 years ago. You need Easter. Some of you are like, I'm still trying to question this thing. I'm here because I was promised a Big Mac on the other side of this service. You need Easter. It doesn't much matter to me. And if Big Mac is your Easter lunch, then I need to talk to whoever is bringing you because they need to treat you a little better than that. But we need Easter, but why do we need Easter? But in order to take this journey, and it, we are going to go on a journey, we got to go all the way back to the beginning of time. we got to go all the way back. In your Bibles, you don't have to turn there. And if we go through any scriptures, it's going to come on the screen so you can just take notes and engage today. But in your Bibles, it would be in Genesis 1 is where we're going to start. And we got to start at the beginning. And at the beginning, there was nothing. The Bible says it like this. The, the recordings say there was nothing. There was a void. The earth was void. It was a vast nothingness. Whatever darkness and nothing you can think of, that is like that times 10. There was nothing. And God decided that he was going to begin to create. He was going to create the solar systems. He was going to create the earth. He was going to create what we can see and what we can't. God was going to begin to create. Now, I can't tell you what that looked like. There's many different ways that all that could have taken place. But the one thing that I do know is God created. And he began to speak with his words. He began to create, right? He began to create the sun and the moon. He created night and he created day. He created the seas and he created the sands. He created um, he created the, 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 the plants of the ground. He created the trees. He created the birds of the air. He created the, the, the animals that would crawl. He created everything in between. He even created the mosquitoes that will terrorize us all summer long. God created. He, that's what he did. And at the end of each day of creation, it was all an orderly thing. It was all on purpose. And at the end of each day of creation, God would say this phrase. He would say, it is good and he would start the next day and he'd create and he'd do his thing and then there came a day where God said oh man I've created all of this now I want to create this for someone and someone for this and so at that moment after creating the earth and everything that we can experience today as life God dipped down his holy hands into some messy dirt on the earth and it says as he scooped up the dirt and he out of the dust of the earth, it says he created man. He created mankind. It says he created mankind in his image and in his likeness. It says just like him, they came together and 
They created mankind. Man, what a, what a moment. It was his most beautiful creation. Yeah? His most trusted and valued. And here's why. Because he created someone or something that he could love. And then he just created to love. And he created someone that could love back. And he looked at the man, the first man, the first human. He looked and he said, listen, I got a job for you. I want you to name everything I've created. So he begins to name. He begins to name all the flowers, and he names the rivers and the streams, and he names the, the animals, and he names the giraffes, and, and, and all these things that are walking. I don't know if giraffes were around by that time, but he named all the animals, right? He even named the pine tree that, again, would terrorize South Carolinians throughout the entire summer, the rest of our lives. Pollen. Some of you are like, why? Pollen. It's pollen. Pollen is there. And he began to name, and God said, it's not good. He said, it's not good because man is alone. He needs a helpmate. Out of everything that he's named, he hasn't found a good helpmate. So he called in the best anesthesiologist that he possibly could, and he put the man to sleep. The anesthesiologist part I added, but he, Adam falls asleep, and while he's asleep, he grabs into the side of man. He, call, he pulls the rib, which literally translates to side. He goes from the side of man, and he creates a helpmate named woman. And as he's creating woman, he looks and he goes, you're not above, you're not beneath, you are beside him. You walk through this together. We do this together. And he's so excited. God's like, oh, they love me and I love them. And I've created this entire place, this entire place that they can reign in called the Garden of Eden. They can have their way. It's beautiful. Think of the most peaceful place that you could possibly think of and vision and hear. Now multiply that by about a thousand. That's the Garden of Eden, just the most peaceful, loving, great, beautiful place. Best, best smells and everything, right? And God was telling them, you can have your reign over this place, but there's one tree. There's one tree in the middle of the garden. There's one place in the middle of the garden. There's one thing in the middle of the garden. You can't touch it. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You cannot touch that tree. You cannot be a part of that tree because, after all, is it love if you, have, if you cannot choose it? Is it dedication? Is it commitment if you have no other choice? No. It's a forced thing. So God goes, I want you to choose to love me. I want you to choose faithfulness. I want you to choose commitment and dedication. And they're like, okay, God, but it is a beautiful tree. And God's like, yeah, just stay away. Don't eat it. Okay. And I would imagine for the first little while, they're probably like, okay, I'm good staying away from that. But how many of you know that familiarity makes things like a little harder to stay away from? And so I would imagine, now this isn't recorded in Scripture, it's kind of my take on it, but I would imagine the longer they were in the garden, the closer that they would walk by that tree. They'd smell it. The flowers on it probably smelled amazing. It looked great. It was beautiful. The fruit was shining and all this. Like, it was great. And I don't want you to think apple tree because we literally have no idea what kind of fruit it was, right? So don't villainize apples. I don't know what apples did to everybody, but poor apples. And whatever the tree was, God was saying no, and they would just walk by. And it, man, the temptation got stronger and stronger as time went on. The smells got better. And I can just imagine that there was a time where they would just walk up and they'd admire the tree. They're like, why can't we have that tree? That tree is beautiful. That tree is amazing. I don't understand. And there was a moment where I just believe what took place was Eve, the first woman, she walks up and she's just like staring at it, maybe even smelling it, maybe even like, I don't know, going, 
she was anything like my wife. My wife thinks that if you smell things, you can taste them. And so she has to taste it. She has to smell everything first. Maybe she was, all right, that's good, all right. And as they're in the moment, as they're at the tree, as they're, it was almost like they were seeing how close to the line they could get without actually crossing the line. And so they got there, and all of a sudden the serpent shows up. And now the serpent wasn't necessarily anything out of the ordinary in the garden. I mean, Adam had already seen everything that had been created, and Adam had already named them all. So this serpent shows up. But this, this was no regular serpent. This serpent was now a part of the enemy's plan. The serpent shows up, and he goes, man, this is a beautiful tree, isn't it? Eve's like, yeah, gorgeous, smells great. Then why don't you eat some of the fruit? No, I can't. Surely God did not actually tell you you can't eat from this tree. The enemy already knew the answer, and Eve said, yeah, that's what God said. He said, let me tell you why God said that. God just said that because he's afraid that you'll be like him. The moment you take the first bite of that fruit, you'll be like him, and he doesn't want that. And here's what was so interesting about that statement. If you go back, we've already quoted it, but if you go back into when man and woman, when mankind was created, he said, we made God in our image and in our likeness. Watch this. The enemy took what God had already done and twisted it to be a promise or a threat of, the enemy, uh, uh, of God towards humanity. And now they were believing the lies of the enemy. I need to tell somebody in this room today, you don't need to believe the lies of the enemy. Don't you dare step back and take the twisted promises of God from the enemy and believe that God is against you. God is for you. God loves you. God embraces you right where you are, but entirely too much to leave you there. And I don't care what the enemy wants you to believe about yourself. You have purpose, you have value, and you have promise in this world today. It doesn't matter what you feel like. I need you to understand that you have purpose. The enemy will try to twist that. The enemy will try to make you think a little differently, but that's not the case. And so they, they go into this thing, and he says, you'll be like God. And so Eve goes, I can't have that. And takes her bite. She goes, oh, my gosh, Adam, you got to try this. And Adam tries it. And it says that in that moment, they both realized that they were naked, and they were ashamed. They were full of shame. And they were full of guilt and condemnation in that moment, and if you know the story, God shows up and there's a long conversation that happens. They're kicked out of the garden. They have to toil with the earth for the rest or work in the earth the rest of their lives. Why? Because in that moment, in that minute, in that slick moment of the tongue of what the enemy had done, he had introduced, watch this, division between the God of the heavens and the creation that he loves. The enemy had come in and said, no, you don't have to choose faithfulness. You don't have to. What we know the division as today is one little word called sin. And sin literally means this, how far you've missed the mark. It's the distance between the mark you were going for and what you actually hid. And in one slick moment, Satan, the enemy, the serpent of our souls, the enemy of our souls had introduced division and chaos into this peaceful, graceful, Loving world that God had created. And he'd introduced that, that chaos and division that you and I still have to endure today. The serpent had created a separation between God's creation and God himself. He had taken the God whose hands had touched the dirt of the earth and created mankind from it. And now there was something between the holy God and the humanity that he loved. Doubt. Anxiety, fear, insecurity, depression, 
murder, adultery, darkness, was all now a part of the rebellious plan of the enemy of our souls. The serpent now would make his home on the very dirt that had created mankind. But I need you to know something. God's never caught off guard. God's never without a plan. Even when you feel like you're without a plan, even when you feel like you're caught off guard, nothing about your circumstance changes the goodness of God, but the goodness of God can change everything about your circumstance. There's never a moment where God goes, oh, I didn't know that was going to, he's never caught off guard. In your life today, I need you to understand, wherever you are, he's not caught off guard, he's not intimidated, he's not upset, he's ready, he's got a plan. And in fact, in that moment, he releases his plan to the enemy and he looks and he goes, I will put enmity or separation between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. And then he says it like this. He shall bruise you being the rise of a snake crusher, being the enemy, I mean the, the savior. He says, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Here's what he says. You are gonna have no power between humanity anymore. There will come a snake crusher that will step up and he will step on your head so hard that he will walk around with a bruise on his heel because your days are numbered, Satan. And he had no idea. If we skip ahead a little bit into the story, we actually jump right into another famous holiday of Christmas that started around 5 B.C. And around 5 B.C., the serpent crusher was born in human form as a baby in a manger just like us. The king was born of humble beginnings. The king of kings, the lord of lords, and the savior of the universe was now here. The snake crusher was standing up and he would soon take his place as the conqueror. For 30 plus years, Jesus would walk the earth. And as he walked the earth, he would declare the godly truths and godly principles. He would, he would declare the promises of the kingdom of God and the hope of the kingdom of God. And all the while that he was declaring these things, the serpent was striking. The serpent was still giving division. The serpent was still giving chaos. The serpent was still introducing rebellion and sin. And everything that went against the kingdom of God, the serpent was still striking in people's lives. And he was unable to see that his head had a bullseye on it. And that he would soon enough be conquered. And he would no longer have the venom that he thinks he has over the world. Then, the enemy, the serpent, took his strongest, most venomous blow that he had taken to date. <laughs> On Maundy Thursday, what we know as Maundy Thursday, Jesus gathers his disciples in a room for the Passover meal. And this was no ordinary meal. This was the last meal they would enjoy together. And he begins to tell them, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. You're going to sell me out for pieces of silver. I'm going to go into a garden and I'm going to pray and I'm going to get arrested and I'm going to get beaten, tortured, humiliated, hung on a cross. I'm going to die. 
But don't worry, because three days later, I'm calling my shot. And I'm going to rise again. Not long after that meal, they go to a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane, and he takes three of his disciples with him to keep watch, and they can't stay awake. You ever been that tired? They couldn't stay awake. The guards show up, and they arrest Jesus. Darkness was beginning to encroach on the earth. Over the next several hours, Jesus was beaten, humiliated, stripped of his clothes, hung on a cross, a crown of thorns placed on his head and then down his face. His beard ripped out, spit on, suffocated to death as he struggled for every breath on that cross. A spear thrust into his side and his blood pooling in the dirt that had created mankind at the foot of the cross. As they shouted insult after insult. Darkness had won. The serpent's venom was too much. The cross was the final moment. Or so they thought. Let's pause for just a moment right there in that dramatic moment. Let's catch up and see how God was actually, Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the life of Jesus was reversing the curse of sin from the beginning. Let's, let's go back and let's just, let's just summarize real quick. Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to be obedient to the Father, which is undoing Adam and Eve's disobedience in the first garden. Adam and Eve hides behind a tree, naked, covered in shame and condemnation. And Jesus hangs on a tree, naked, conquering our shame and our condemnation. Adam and Eve begin in paradise, the Garden of Eden, and are forced outside of its gates due to the curse of sin. But Jesus dies outside of the gates of the city and ends up inside of the gates of paradise due to the blessing of the cross. Adam and Eve's sin ushered in a curse of thorns to work the ground, but Jesus wears a crown of thorns as he ushers in salvation from sin. Jesus was reversing the curse of the enemy that he would no longer have power over humanity. He'd no longer have power over mankind. But that wasn't the end. For three days, there was silence. There was darkness. They placed Jesus in a tomb rolled a stone in front, put a government seal saying this is government property, no one can touch it. If you do, you'll go to jail and probably die. For three days there was confusion. For three days there was hurt, there was pain, there was loneliness. What would they do now? How would the kingdom continue forward? What would they do with what Jesus taught them but what they didn't know? That while earth was silent, the heavens were warring. What they didn't know is while there was silence at the tomb, there was noise in the heavens. What they didn't know is while they thought Jesus was laying in a grave, he was actually beating and stomping on the head of the serpent, the enemy of our souls, and he was defanging and taking the venom out of that serpent, and he was saying, no more do you have victory. No more do you have separation. I will bruise my heel on your head because I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I will set my people free. And on day three, Everything changed because Genesis 3.15 was taking place. 
On day three, everything changed. The ground shook. The guards fell asleep. The stone that sealed the tomb began to move. And you know what I love about this is it doesn't even take faith to believe it because not only is it biblically accurate, it is also historically proven that this is an event that took place. (laughs) And while that tomb, while that stone that sealed the tomb was rolled away, there stood a figure of a man in the doorway. And it wasn't a beaten, bloody, tired, defeated man. It was a man that stood boldly. It was a man with his chest bowed out and his head held high. A man with victory in his smile. A man with his hand raised in victory, but his hand was clenched around the key ring. And the enemy, I mean, in the, Bible, in the scriptures teach us that when he walked out of that grave, he walked out with the keys to death hell and the grave and the victory behind that is is that today death hell nor the grave have to be your future it does not have to be your eternity it does not have to be mine because while I thought that earth was silent and when I thought that he was defeated he was warring for you and he was warring for me he was fighting for my victory he was fighting for my salvation he was fighting for my forgiveness he was fighting to redeem me back to the place of being with the rightful place with my father. The enemy's head is crushed. The venom is gone and his sting has now been removed. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 58, it says it like this. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I love this. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But watch this. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. He keeps going. Therefore, because of that, my beloved brothers, you can be steadfast. You can be immovable. And you can always be active and abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work is not in vain when it's in the Lord. I need you to hear me. You can't crush the head of the enemy. You can't step on the head of the snake. You can't take away the power of the enemy of our souls. And there is one. We were born into it. And it started at the Garden of Eden. But it was reversed through the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the fact that he loves you and he honors you and he has already given victory in his hands for you to grasp and grab and say, I will no longer be held captive to this addiction. I no longer have to be held captive to this clinical depression. I no longer have to be held captive to all of these things. Hear me today. Those things may be real, but I need you to hear me that Jesus has already walked out of the grave and victory is available to anyone that wants to grab it out of his hands because he's made it available to each and every one of us. I want to take you back to the creation of mankind. When God reached his hand into the dirt of the earth and he created his most loved and beautiful creation ever. And wherever you are today, whatever you sit in today, whatever you brought in today, whatever difficulty you have in your life, can I encourage you with something? You don't have to stay there. 
Because the same way that the holy God reached his hands into the dirt of the earth and made something beautiful, he can reach his hands and will reach his hands and wants to reach his hands into the dirt of your life and make something beautiful out of it. Because here's what I know about my God. He loves you where you're at. He will not ask you to get clean first. He loves your mess and your mud and your dirt and your hurt and everything you've been through. But I want you to hear how much he loves you. He loves you too much to leave you in it. He'll meet you there and he loves you there and he'll help you there, but he won't leave you there because every day becomes a moment where it's, all right, let's take this step to get through this addiction. Let's go to this counselor to get through this pain. Let's work through this bitterness of unforgiveness. Let's do this to get through this depression. Let's do this to get through this anxiety. And it's not a moment where everything may not change in your life overnight, but I will tell you this. You now have the assurance of eternity with a father that loves you and will never forsake you and never walk away from you. And you have the assurance of a savior that literally promises to hold your hand and walk with you through life, no matter what you may encounter, Man, no matter what you have encountered he loves you where you are and he will make something beautiful out of the dirt of your life that my friends is Easter that my friends is the fact of the enemy realizing he no longer has any power yes he strikes and yes he bites but he cannot hurt he cannot kill because the keys of that are in the hands of a savior that loves you the only way out of the captivity of the enemy is through the hands of the Savior. And he loves you today. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that no matter what, he looked at a little guy from Elgin, South Carolina, and decided, I'm going to give him a chance. I love him in the mess that he's created but I'm not going to leave him there. I got too much for him. So what I want to do this Christmas, it's not Christmas, this Easter. <laughs> it's a holiday, okay? Give me grace. <laughs> what I want to do this Easter, some of y'all are going to go along with it, like, okay, we'll go put up a Christmas tree today. <laughs> what I want to do this Easter is give you an opportunity to put your hands put your life in the hands of the snake crusher and just say no more the enemy has nothing on me anymore I'm his and he is mine and all the Bible says is this if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord you shall be saved and it begins eternity to where every day is a step towards him in a new way as we learn about him and we grow closer to him. What I'd love to do is just lead you in a prayer. And if you're in here, here's what I know. We've had, we have six Easter services throughout two locations this year. And here's what I know. There's people all over every one of those six services that are going, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need the snake crusher. And all I'm gonna ask you to do is pray that prayer with me right there in your seat and trust God with your soul. Will you bow your heads with me? 
If you're ready to give your life to Jesus today, it's just repeat this prayer and mean it in your heart. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for giving your life so that I could have life. Thank you for sacrificing everything so that I could have eternity. Jesus, I'm not gonna be perfect, but I do wanna be faithful. Walk with me, guide me, and lead me. God, I ask for forgiveness from my past, forgiveness from my present, and redemption for my future. And I thank you, Jesus, for making room for me in the family of God today. I give you my life. In your name we pray. Amen. Can you put your hands together for life change that has happened across this room?